This, 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 this is the Apparelist Podcast, designed to bring you real-life conversation about high-level topics relevant to the decorated apparel community. Hey, 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 Apparelist family. I hope you're all ready for this episode of the Apparelist Podcast, where we look at high-level topics through an approachable, applicable lens. Today's guest is one of the minds behind arguably one of the most popular t-shirt brands of all time. He's here to talk to us about the journey through extreme growth, the price it comes at, and he even has a few manageable tips to all of you other owners, CEOs, managers out there on how to successfully manage your own company. Please help me welcome Mark Lane, owner of Coed Sportswear. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, our brand director, Chip Danby, told me about you and that you had this great book coming out. And, you know, I, I was a child of the 90s, but I was, you know, fairly young in the 90s. So I wasn't really sure what the story is here. Um, and then I read your book and I was introduced to the Coed Naked brand. For any of you listeners out there, Coed Naked, if you're around in the 90s, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, but Mark, you know, what? what's really interesting about this brand is just about everything is interesting about it. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you today, um, you know, let you introduce yourself a little bit to our Perilous audience and uh, tell us about your history. Yeah, sure. Um, great. I appreciate it. I've um, just a little bit about me. I'm born and raised in New Hampshire. I, I, I grew up, went to the University of New Hampshire. Uh, I've really only outside of summer jobs when I was a kid have only had one job. And that's um, when I started Coed Sportswear right out of school. And uh, Coed Sportswear, uh, you know, the name, it, it, some people always ask, you know, people ask me, why isn't it Coed Naked Sportswear? And, and because that's what we started with. I mean, that was the line that we started and purchased when I, when I graduated from college. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how that happened. But we knew at some point down the road would be more than just Coed Naked. So we decided to be uh, Coed Sportswear. And, um, and sure enough, that's paid off because uh, Coed Naked was uh, what we started with. And, and then we um, hit some bumps in the road after a period of time. And now we've just recently relaunched it, which is going great. So that's kind of an interesting uh, side note as well. But um but the, the history of, of Coed Naked is um, really what happened when I graduated from college. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Coed Naked. Um, I want to return to the relaunch in a little bit, but yeah. I think to, to really understand where it's at now, we got to go back yeah. to the beginning. Yeah. So when I, when I was in college, I, so I, I, I was home for Thanksgiving break. I think it was probably my, my sophomore, junior year. And my brother, um, my, my mother was washing, doing our laundry for us. And, and I was ready to go back to school. And in my, my pile of laundry was this Coed Naked shirt. It said Boston College Coed Naked Lacrosse with this catchphrase, rough, tough, and in the buff. And I'd never seen it before. I loved it. I thought, uh, wow, I've got I've to sneak that back to UNH, knowing it was, should have belonged in my brother's pile because it was his shirt. <laughs> so I ended up taking it and... And I just thought it was the most unique shirt. It was funny. It was catchy. It was mm -hmm. somewhat controversial, maybe, but um, just the words were just clever. And I, I, uh, I remember thinking I'd be uh, unusual at UNH wearing the shirt. And um, 
And I was for a very short period of time, but then I started realizing and seeing Koa naked shirts all over the place. And what ended up happening is I I met the kid who started this. It was a a kid that didn't go to UNH, but lived in Durham. He went to the University of Colorado and for essentially beer money, he started this, he he created this Koa naked lacrosse, rough, tough, and in the buff and buff stood for Colorado Buffaloes. I love it. And um, he sold enough shirts at uh, at school that he quit school, came back to Durham and started this business selling the shirts. And that's where I got to know him. I met him through a mutual friend. Um, and at the time, I was getting my, my Bachelor of Arts in History and uh, my MBA combined. Um, so I knew I wanted to be in business. Um, and when I graduated, there was, uh, you know, all my, my classmates were going off to getting these at the time, $40,000 a year jobs, which I thought was real big money. And and I decided to take a job for $7.50 with this guy because I was just so intrigued by what he had done and what the uh, potential for this, this COVID naked w- mm-hmm. was. Um, I went to work for him in, uh, I'd say, May of 1990 after I graduated. And I remember the date clearly. On August 23rd, 1990, I went and there were chains on the door it looked like the entire thing was shut down. And um, what had happened is he was being, or at least the story goes, I don't have, you know, this is what I gathered from the situation. He was being sued by CLC, this collegiate licensing company, because he was putting university names on these shirts without a license. And at 23 years old, he really didn't want to deal with that issue. So he closed the company down. And that was my opportunity, myself and a, a couple of partners, to purchase these words. And that's what we did. We purchased the words COVID naked, the mm-hmm. artwork, and um, and really that was it. And uh, we started we started this business on a on a shoestring, uh, essentially. Um, but we believed that we could make it work and make it a national mm-hmm. line. And um, and what happened over the next couple of years were were pretty crazy. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that because you know I had the opportunity to read your book, The Coed Naked Truth, and that journey is just so funny and fascinating. Um, like you said, I I think the the terms coed naked, you know that that's kind of a controversial thing. And so so do do you think that that's why it exploded in popularity? I mean, what what do you think was the motivating factor there? Well, I mean, I think there was a bunch of things that happened. I think. Uh-huh. I think, um, well, first of all, I, I, it's, it's funny. I don't like to give us a lot of credit because okay. at the time, and partly because we were young, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just throwing things at the wall. And, and, but I think the words COVID naked are just there. They can be controversial. They can be mm-hmm. funny. They can be, you know, risque. Um, I don't think they're offensive, you know, and <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't trying to make offensive shirts. We we're just trying to make something that, you know, was funny. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with a sport and like lacrosse or hockey or football or basketball or an occupation like firefighting and nursing. And um, we had shirts for everybody. And, and then you throw a little funny kind of double entendre catchphrase on it. And it's mm-hmm. just it just made people happy and smile. And and then I think um and but you know, along the course of of starting this business, we we did some things that kind of pushed it into the marketplace where it exploded. But um, but the beginning was difficult. I mean, we started the company in nineteen 
in October of 1990. And by December, the end of the year, December of 1990, my accountant told us we had $700 left and it was time to you know, shut the doors. And we didn't have much to start with. We started with $46,000. Oh. Uh, you know, that was just money we borrowed from the bank. And uh, we had a third partner that threw in 20,000. We ended up with $46,000. And um, uh, we found out very quickly that $46,000 doesn't get you much. Um, doesn't go a long way, especially with limited sales. But uh, but we ended up, we took that $700 and flew to Florida. And we decided we were going to knock on every single retail store from from uh, Daytona to to uh, Fort Lauderdale. And that's what we did. We, we rented a car. We knocked on every single door. We got down to about Palm Beach, I think it was. And we realized we had every door we knocked on, they said, oh, no, owner's not here or the buyer's not here. They're all in Orlando. And we're like, it took us, you know, half of the state of Florida to realize that maybe we should be in Orlando. <laughs> uh, so we turned the car around, went to Orlando, and that's where the surf show was. The, uh, you know, it's a big, obviously a big apparel show. Um, we didn't have a booth, obviously, but we had a couple samples and we walked around the show and, uh, and at the end of the first day, after having no luck, because, you know, we we're just trying to find anyone with a buyer badge, you know, track them down. But, you know, these guys are busy, so they didn't want anything to do with us. Um, but we did. We started at the end of the show when things quieted down. We were talking to a rep and um, and uh, we, you know, th this rep. We, we showed him the line and said, uh, he asked us what we were up to. And we showed him a couple of co-naked samples. And he, and he said the magic words, which was, I've heard of that. And uh -huh. so I was like, oh, yeah. And, and then he says, you have anyone repping in, in Florida? And we said, well, you know, what part of Florida are you from? Of course, we had the, the entire country. was <laughs> open, But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we had to make ourselves look bigger than, than uh -huh. we were. Um, but long story short, and this is all in the book as well, but long story short is that he took on the line. And by the time we flew back to uh, New Hampshire, uh, we had a lot of orders on the fax machine. So um, by the end, uh, that was in uh, probably, I guess it was January of 1991. So by the end of 1991, we had a million dollars in sales, which was way more than our, you know, we expected. Yeah. Um, by the end of 92, we ended up at two and a half million. By the end of 93, we were at 7 million. Wow. And then by the end of 94, we were at 23 million. And we were, um, and then everything good happened. We, mm -hmm. you know, we uh, were nominated for Entrepreneurs of the Year, Young Entrepreneur of the Year, because um, we were under 28 years old or something. And uh right. We won, we won the New Hampshire Entrepreneur of the Year, which meant we were eligible for the um, regional one. We won that mm -hmm. remarkably. And then we ended up winning the national one. And in May of 95, we were um, invited to the White House uh, for a Rose Garden ceremony with President Clinton. Wow. It was like, we were on top of the world. We couldn't do anything wrong. What, what an amazing pivot from $700 <laughs> in the bank, closing your doors to yeah. standing in the White House. Yeah, and and the and the crazy thing was is in that first quarter of '95, we had doubled our '94 business, and we were on pace to do 50 million. Um, 
wild. And in that that same month, that May of '95, we not only were celebrated at the White House, but we we um, moved our facility to uh, um, for the third time to a sixty thousand square foot facility uh, to to accommodate all the business. And um, we had just purchased our own screen printer, and we had we had done all kinds of things. We we were um, sponsoring a, a race car in a in a fairly large series which was yeah. kind of cool um but you know but may also as as great as that month was uh remarkably it also it it marked the kind of the end of this huge ride and and there was a lot of reasons why we grew to that level but there mm-hmm. was also a lot of reasons why the line started to suffer after that that may that may day yeah let's talk about that a little bit because i think you know the story you're describing i think is every entrepreneur's dream especially when you talk about a lot of apparel decorators or people who are launching their own apparel brands whatever you know their finger is in the apparel industry who doesn't love that exponential growth that massive growth everybody loves you they want your shirts um yeah what happened i mean it was a little bit unrealistic you know and we we were you know from my perspective all i had to do was show up at work and we sold t-shirts you know yeah. i my e i had way too big an ego you know it was it, i was 20 whatever seven years old mm-hmm. and, and everything we did just turned into more sales and we had done some things that that really increased our our presence in the marketplace. We started this twenty four hour shipping, no minimum order. Uh, and at that time, we had like forty or fifty designs when we started that. So you think about it from a retail yeah. perspective. Prior prior to um, prior to to this program, we required our our retailers to order forty eight pieces per design mm-hmm. to justify a screen print run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we stocked everything, we said you can order one piece. And so the result of that is instead of having you know one or two facings on our on their walls of our stuff and then waiting for it to sell through, you know, after a month or two and then ordering reordering, mm-hmm. these guys started ordering five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen different designs, and they just didn't buy as many. So we started to own the walls on retailers. And and like I alluded to earlier, there was something for everybody. So if you were a nurse or or a, a firefighter or a hockey player, yeah. uh, there was a shirt for you. And we got all kinds of fan mail asking for new designs. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was a crazy ride. And, um, but we're also young and um, we felt we were bulletproof mm-hmm. and we didn't look at the signs at the time that suggested that, hey, this thing doesn't, you know, may end someday. And there was a lot of signs. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of signs. And those signs included, you know, probably the biggest ones were um, th- there was a lot of high schools that were, were, um, changing their their uh their um their policy about what you can wear at schools and and they because Coa Naked was so big at the time and when I say big in that period of time in the in the you know early to 
mid to late nineties, we sold 10 million t-shirts. I mean, it was a crazy number. And so Cohen naked was everywhere and the kids were wearing them to high school. And the, you know, there, there was one situation in the state of Massachusetts where um, one of the students sued his own school for making him in not allowing him to wear our shirt. Uh-huh. And he won. And when you tell a high school kid <laughs> what not to wear, they want to wear it more. Right. Um, so between 93, when those, when that first, that whole thing started to 95, um, our sales went through the roof, but mm-hmm. by 95, it started to catch up to us because there were articles all over the country about, you know, these new, uh, policies at schools and Coa naked was always mentioned in them. And, uh, and, and we weren't the only one, but, right. but the schools really cut down on it. So I think, I think, uh, you know, parents stopped you know, bringing their, uh, you know, buying COVID naked shirts for, for back to school. Uh (laughs) But, you know, there are other things too, you know, it was, we were oversaturated. We weren't smart enough to realize that, you know, we should, Mm -hmm. we should protect our customers better. um, Our retailers. Uh, There is a host of reasons. Sure. And um, I think, you know, that goes with the territory of, of, I think owning any, small businesses, there's always going to be like, like those challenges and those signs. And, and I think part of the challenge is recognizing those. Um, and again, you know, all of you listeners out there, you, you can get the details in the book, the code naked truth. Um, but your story doesn't stop there. And that's what I I really want to talk more about is, you know, talking about the years after code naked's, you know, big heyday quote unquote, um, you know, what, what, what's it been like, up until now well, it's been interesting uh you know <laughs> and that, it's one of the reasons i wrote the book is because because yeah. i for those first five years we like i've said we were bulletproof and we were blind to how to actually run a business and we spent wildly uh you know we wanted the biggest and best of everything the race car that we sponsored that was a lot of fun but was it the right thing to do is you know and and it's we we just weren't we weren't frugal by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination and um and why would you be when all you did was have success for five straight years and mm-hmm. uh but it, it turned around very quickly and instead of doing the 50 million in 1995 like we were on pace to do we ended up at 17 million and that was a real shot in the you know shot in the arm or a real uh, blow i should say yeah. because you know the reality was we had at that time we had to purchase over five million dollars worth of inventory to satisfy that initial um, uh, that that initial uh, demand of, yeah. of potentially fifty thousand units or fifty thousand uh, fifty I'm sorry fifty million dollars worth of merchandise, mm-hmm. and at the end of the year we were stuck with all this obsolescence and. Uh, and we owed the bank five million dollars. So we we learned quickly how to become businessmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, over the next fifteen to twenty years, I, I know that's a big stretch of time, but we we changed the the company's um, uh, you know really the mission statement of the company over three different times and the model. Uh, and the first one was fairly simple. We had this huge COVID naked 
distribution channel. And we took full advantage of it. And, mm-hmm. and what we did is we created our own new designs that were less controversial than Code Naked. And we <laughs> retired Code Naked, but we, we kept selling it. Um, but along with it, we, we brought in some tamer uh, <laughs> uh, concepts. Yeah. And we also um, licensed a lot of concepts. And we brought all those to the market and took advantage of the fact that we had over 12,000 retail doors across the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. The problem was nothing was as good as Coa Naked. So we could never satisfy this uh, this huge organization that we had created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, that process really lasted uh, about five years because by the year 2000, our sales had gone from that peak of 23 million in uh, 1994 down to 3 million wow. in the year 2000. So you can see where, you know, we had to completely do an about face uh, mm-hmm. and figure out what the business was all about. So really in 2000, that was, we started this kind of second generation of, of a business model. And, and we moved into taking those same designs that we were putting into our essentially our mom and pop 12,000 retail stores and moving them into larger uh, retailers like the the JC Penney's of the world and the Macy's and the Dick's Sporting Goods and all of these kind of big box stores as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did that because there was a, a significant change in the market. And this is, again, another reason why I wrote the book. And it's it's to you know, just give people an understanding that things change. They can change quickly and they can change year to year and mm-hmm. economics change, banking situations change, markets change. And at that time in 2000, our 12,000 retail stores had diminished to about 800. And and it's really because they changed the way they were doing business. Uh, big box stores and malls were growing and that was taking, putting a lot of pressure on small mom and pops that were going out of business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was just a completely different um, era. So we went through this next 10 years was really the era of us selling into the the big department stores and big box stores. Um, and that ended as well. And, and by 2008, so we had, we had built our sales back up over that period of time. We we're back up to not 23 million, but we got up to eight, $9 million in revenue, which was, was good. And we had a, a business model that, that allowed us to be profitable under the, you know, the, that uh, type of volume. Um, but then, you know, just when things are going right there, uh, you have the banking crisis of 2008 uh-huh. and all this consolidation of retail. And um, we literally lost our banking relationship we didn't owe him five million dollars anymore, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> we only owed him about eight hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. So it's still significant, but um, but you know they they didn't want they didn't want to take the risk with us anymore because we were doing business with retail and retail was getting killed, mm-hmm. and so our particular bank was just retail adverse at that at that point, and. Um, so, you know, that was a, a that, that really started this whole another business model opportunity for us because we literally went bankless for six, let's see, from 2008 to 2014. So six years without That's a wild. relationship. 
I just, yeah, I just have to say, like, when I read that part in your book, I was like, how did y'all manage? Like, that is just well, wild to me. It was crazy. I mean, it was, it was, it was very stressful because <laughs> I, I literally had to go to the bank every, every quarter and pray that they weren't just going to call the note because we couldn't pay it back. It, you know, anyone who lived through 2008 and you're a small business understood how difficult it was. And and because it was a banking crisis, banks just weren't willing to lend money, and so we couldn't be profitable. Um, our 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 business with our retailers diminished again because of a lot of reasons. Consolidation. There's a ton of consolidation with the major, you know, the large box stores and the the major sporting goods stores and so forth. And so we had lost a lot of the um, you know our customers. And and they were difficult to deal with too, and I talk about that in the book as well. I mean, we were yeah. we were um, vendor of the year for Dick Sporting Goods in two thousand six, and in two thousand seven, because we're not you know, Nike or Reebok or you know one of their big brands, they tried to take our program overseas. Uh. And, you know, so you know, thanks for being vendor of the year. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> right. uh, but that's the kind of that's the kind of um, difficulty we were facing, mm-hmm. and. But as far as the bank, you know, the bank, I guess you can thank Coed Naked a lot for the, you know, surviving because we had made enough money in the Coed Naked days where, you know, mm-hmm. as owners of the business, we were self-banking ourselves, and um, which wasn't, wasn't easy. It, you know, we had, there were three or four times over the course of a 10-year period where I seriously debated whether or not this was what we wanted to do, but um but you know things turned around again, and by 2012, uh, you know we had some, or, or really 2010, we had some ownership changes. We had bought mm-hmm. out a partner, um, I'd, I'd take on a new partner, uh, which was one of the smartest things I did because the new partner was um, our best leading sales guy, mm-hmm. uh, so it made a lot of sense to bring him on, and. Uh, you know, together we changed the business model again. And really, instead of going after the major uh, department stores and big box stores, we decided to go after some of the brands that they work with and work with those guys. And Mm -hmm. that ended up becoming a phenomenally good business model. Um, The model that we still uh, are is it's a model that's still working today. So, you know, 13 years later, I think we uh-huh. found a sustainable business model. <laughs> um, but even that has its, you know, it, that all has its, uh, you have to be careful even during those times too, because we, we had our best year uh, since 2000, uh, since 1994 in 2019 in terms of okay. revenue, uh, in terms of profitability and, we went into 2000 uh, on fire again, and we had a sustained level of profitability and growth, I think, for six straight years in a row up to 2019. Mm-hmm. 2020 looked great. And then, you know, in March of 2020, we all know what happened. Well, <laughs> everyone, fact, everyone shut yeah, down. Shut exactly. Down. Yeah. And the funny thing is I had started writing this book um, towards the tail end of uh 2018 and into 2019 because we we're on such a ride. Yeah. I wanted to share, you know, how over the this these 20, 30 years we were able to, to sustain ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, I literally was ready to publish the book and said, 
because the 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 ending was a happy ending, right? We were yeah. we found our business model that was going to work, and nothing seemed to be <laughs> able to get into the way. And then you know, reality strikes again. Uh, with so, yeah, I think uh, I I think that kind of big slap in the face across the whole world is yeah. Who knows, right? And 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 you talk a lot about that change um, in the book. My question to you is through all of this journey, you know, 90s to today, 2023, biggest lesson or lessons that you have taken away from running a business, managing a business, growing a business. Yeah. And and it's this isn't meant to scare young entrepreneurs or anything like <laughs> that, but it's really about um, you know, really understanding not just your business, but but the markets that you're working in and understanding that, especially in this day and age, how quickly things change, yeah. right? You know, so when we started in 1990, I mean, uh, we were, we barely had a working computer because they weren't readily available, right? Uh -huh. I mean, it was kind of a new thing. Uh, you know, we'd go to trade shows and we were, you know, we'd call home, once a day, if we were lucky, because we the line at the payphone was too too long, you know. It, so everything changes, and and technology has changed so dramatically, and the way we do mm -hmm. business. I mean, who would have thought in 1990 that you know the internet internet would be the primary way you potentially sell product in this day and age? Yeah. Um, I mean, if we had the internet back then and we were selling at retail prices, I I mean. <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine uh, how, how well it would have been. But um, so I think it's, I think the message is that, that you never know what is going to uh, be that bump in the road for you or, 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 you know, or that crash for you, because there's, mm -hmm. there's always, so you just have to keep your, you know, be aware of that and prepare for that and plan for that. Because if, if you don't plan for, the negative things that can happen in your business. And it could be as simple as losing a customer. It sure. could be um, more complicated like COVID. It could be uh, just a change in the way the market is, uh, retail is, you mm -hmm. know, it's going from primary selling to retail to primary selling online. Yeah. Uh, and there's all kinds of, of different things. I mean, we face, we face issues today with inflation. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to buy a T-shirt today and to print a T-shirt today and the labor that it takes to produce a garment today is significantly more than it was two years ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you just have to be aware of that. You have to plan for it. You have to um, understand it and you have to you have to um, almost enjoy that challenge, you know, of what's yeah. going to be next and how can I overcome it? And uh and we've had our challenges for sure, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world though. Yeah. I love that. I think there are probably more than one other apparel person listening to this, nodding along with you saying, yep, this, this makes total sense, you know, especially with the inflation topic and all that stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. yep. Yep. I've talked to a lot of people in the industry and, you know, now that I'm older and more sophisticated, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I like to give back a little bit. And I yeah. I do like to talk to people that are starting out, and I've I've done a lot of um, you know speaking at uh, colleges and uh, to business classes, and uh, I I you know I did a speaking um, 
engagement down at uh, the uh, show in Atlantic City just recently. Nice. Mm hmm with Rick Roth, you know, his group. And huh. I, I love, I love doing that kind of thing because, you know, there's a lot of people that do have questions and they, they, they want to find information. And again, it's another reason why I wrote the book is because yeah. for me to a certain extent, it's a, it's a way of giving back. It's, it's not to scare, you know, young at, at the business school lectures that I've given. It's not, it's not to scare those kids. It's to, it's to make them aware that there's a lot of great things that can come out of owning your your own small business but it's mm -hmm. not easy either and you have to be willing to put the time and the effort into it and um and be able to deal with the challenges absolutely so my my final question is actually two questions in one yeah. first question i promised we were going to talk about it you're resurrecting the co-ed naked brand yeah. yes. so <laughs> yeah let, let's so, talk about that just briefly where, yeah, where can so, we find it I, well, I, I, I've wanted to do that for a long time. Uh -huh. And there were three things that happened recent, you know, fairly recently that kind of made me want to do it. And one was um, that we were on a, a television show uh, called Yellow Jackets. Uh, uh -huh. And when I say that, the very first, I think it's the first scene in Yellow Jackets. I think it's a Netflix series or, or something, one of those yeah. series. Uh, you know, a girl, a plane crashes and there's a bunch, is a girl's soccer team on the plane and one of the girls is hanging from a tree with a co naked shirt. Oh so, my. so that was sign one. Um, Cause we used to be on television and radio a lot and, and mm -hmm. to have that, see that, that was great. The second thing is I, I got a uh, fan mail. We used to get fan mail all the time and randomly some guy sent us notes saying, Hey, I want the co naked this and that. And, and it, so I was like, okay, that's two things, but yeah. you always wait for that third one. And the third one is that this kid from UNH where I went to school, where I was discovered co naked in the first place, uh, came in, uh, and he had created his own line and in the spirit of giving back, um, I wanted to help this kid out. And so he had his own line. Love it. He so, you know, he I I thought what he had was okay, but I was be surprised if he made any money on it. Hmm. Uh, turns out uh it was a line called Coastal Kooks that uh he started at the University of New Hampshire. I printed the first group of designs for him. He sold out immediately. By after a year of of working with this kid, he had sold over two hundred thousand dollars worth of coastal kooks at the university oh. of New Hampshire. So I was like, Oh boy, this reminds me of COVID naked. Yeah. So, so one day he came in because he wanted some more coastal kook stuff. I was showing him around the building and he saw COVID, all the COVID naked memorabilia. And he asked me what it was. And I explained it to him and he said, I love that shirt. I need to, I need to relaunch it. So that was the easy number three reason why we wanted to relaunch. So we did last summer. Um, kind of a soft launch online. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's at coatnaked.com for anyone that's interested in checking it out. We, we started by launching the original designs. Um, we will probably um, add this summer some of the retro designs as well. Ooh, um, I got my eyes on that then. I'm, <laughs> I'm watching for it. Yeah, but it's doing very well. Um, we've, we've gotten back into retail as well, which is fun wow. and interesting. So um it's uh, beating my expectations. So I didn't know what to expect and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Great. Oh, that's, that's a see story at this point as a happy endings, probably not the ending, but right exactly. now, now, very happy. No, um, last question. 
you mentioned you like to really help everybody out. You wrote the book for that reason, The Cohen Naked Truth and the Triumph and Pitfalls of Owning a Small Business. Where do people yep. find that book? Well, you can you can get it uh, at coednaked.com mm -hmm. um, or you can buy it on Amazon. So either either one. Um, I encourage people to go to coednaked.com and check out our blogs and a little bit more about the history of Coed Naked because there's a lot on there. Um, but you can get the book there. Um, but if if not, and you got an Amazon account, you can get it there as well. So great, Mark. Well, thank you yeah. so much. Your story's a good one. I hope all of you apparelist listeners out there check out the book. I read it in less than 48 hours, people. It was so good. Uh, you can learn a lot of lessons and uh hopefully get inspired and uh get your business rolling. Um, until our next episode. We'll talk to y'all later. Head on over to apparelist.com. You can learn more there. Mark, thanks again. I appreciate the time. I appreciate it very much. Mark.